All right, Genesis chapter 1. Before we read our passage this morning, I want to take just a moment uh, to catch up. Those of you who are just joining us this morning from the junior classes, hello, 11 and 12-year-olds. We have been studying the first two chapters of the book of Genesis really for a couple months now. The first 11 chapters of Genesis record the beginnings of human history. We have a shift in Genesis 12 where we move to the beginnings of Hebrew history with the call of a man by the name of Abram. But there's probably no part of the Bible that comes under more attack than Genesis 1 through 11. And the reason for that is very simple. If you can discredit the Bible from the very beginning, then you can discredit the entire book. It is an attempt by the devil to compromise the foundation upon which Bible Christianity is built because, as Psalm 11 says, if the foundations be destroyed... What can the righteous do? The veracity of the Bible is the foundation of the Christian faith, and the veracity of the Bible hinges on Genesis chapter 1 through 11, the very beginning. So we've studied these first couple chapters not only as a way to bolster our faith and confidence in the Word of God, but also to become equipped to address the roadblocks that will get in the way when we attempt to declare the gospel and engage people in conversations about their soul. You can't just start with Jesus died for your sin. Uh, it, it's going to come back to, is the Bible true? And and you got to be able to speak to that. And so from Genesis 1 and 2, we've covered evidences for God's existence, which the Bible does not uh, bother to address at the outset because it doesn't need to be addressed because every man knows instinctively there's a God that knowledge is implanted uh, on the human conscience. It is standard equipment with every model. Everybody knows there's a God. You've got to be educated out of that belief. But even though the Bible doesn't argue for the existence of God, that doesn't mean there aren't good arguments for God's existence, and we discussed those. Then we took an overview of apologetics, and all that means is the defense of the Christian faith. It's important that we're ready uh, to do so. We need to know how to answer Every man, Colossians 4 says. Then we found out what creation reveals about God. It reveals his wisdom and it reveals his power. It reveals his triune nature. We studied the fact that God's not only the creator but the sustainer of all the universe. He is still taking a very active part in his creation. And that, that includes an ongoing interest in your life. From day to day, we talked about the unbiblical compromises, the way that liberal theologians try to blend the biblical account of creation with so-called scientific theories of evolution, and, and those two are like oil and water. You can't put them together. It just doesn't work. Reading the wording of Genesis chapter 1, God created the heaven and the earth. In Genesis 2, we kind of skipped ahead into this more detailed account of day number 6. Genesis 2 is not a separate creation account. It's just a more detailed record of what happened on day number 6. And at the end of that chapter, everybody's favorite lesson was the first wedding ceremony, the one that God performed in the Garden of Eden between the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and then Genesis 2 also records the first commandment in the Bible. And the interesting thing about that is that commandment is set in the context of God's blessing. God's blessing. And all of God's commandments to each of us are that way. They are for our good. They are the means whereby God intends to bless 
and enrich our lives. And then we went back to Genesis 1. We've spent a week on each of the days of creation here in this chapter. It is so firmly implanted in your hearts and minds. We don't even need to review, but we'll do it anyway. Day one, God created light, divided the light from the darkness. Day two, God created the firmament, divided the waters above and, and, and beneath uh, the firmament. Day number three, God put all the land in one place, all the seas in one place. He he, he filled the earth with vegetation on day four. He hung the sun, moon, and stars on day five. He made the fish and the birds, and that brings us to day number six. And we'll read from verses 24 through 31. Go ahead and read this with me uh, this morning. All together, Genesis 1, 24 through 31. Here we go. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind and it was so and God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good and God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay, just a couple things to focus on this morning outside of improving my reading skills. I was distracted by thinking about the lesson as we read the verses. Two points this morning. You can see it in your outline on the back of the bulletin. Point number one. The goodness of God's creation. The goodness of God's creation. A point we have reiterated over and over again as we move through Genesis chapter 1. You get to the end of day number 6 and verse 31. The Bible says God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. He said the same thing in verse number 4 when he created light. He saw that it was good. In verse number 10 when he made the earth and seas he saw that it was good. In day uh, number 3 on in verse 12 he made the grass and the fruit and the vegetables and the herbs and he saw that it was good. He said the same thing when he made all the different kinds of animals on day 5 and day 6 in verses 18 and 21 and 25. He saw that it was good. Then, then the crowning point of his creation, the last thing he did on day number 6, he made the man, he made the woman, he joined them together in the holy bonds of matrimony. He placed them in a perfect garden. He gave them a job to do. And he sat back and he, and, he, and he looked at what he had done and he said it was very good. Now it all changed drastically not two chapters later when sin entered 
into the world. Sin took everything God had made that was good and, and just messed it completely up, ruined everything. And now you and I, we live in a day where mankind in his fallen condition, in his sinful human nature, influenced by the world, tempted by the devil, takes all the good things that God created and turns them into things that are wicked, things that are vile, things that are dirty, things that are filthy, things that are sinful. The problem is not with what God made. The problem with is, is with mankind who, who has invented all kinds of evil things to do with the good things that God made. Uh, some examples that are listed there in your bulletin, and it looks kind of weird out of context, but hopefully this will make sense. Wheat. Okay, there's nothing wrong with wheat, right? All, all, all kinds of great uses for wheat, so long as you're not gluten-free. My apologies to some of you here this morning. But you know what man has figured out to do with wheat? Not just make bread. That's a really good thing to do with wheat, again, unless you're gluten-free. But, but they figured out how to take wheat and barley and rye and let it rot and let it ferment and then drink it and cause all kinds of problems in home and in society. Josh, you mind to grab that door? It, it apparently is not opening for those coming. No, there it is. Hi, Orion. Don't be shy. All right. So, so look, there's nothing wrong with wheat. There is something wrong with drinking alcohol. There is something wrong with getting drunk. It's not God's fault. He created wheat and wheat is good. But to take it a twist and pervert the use for which God had made it, well, that's, that's, that's the result of the fall in Genesis 3. Grapes. Grapes are great. Grapes are good. I like grapes. You can do all kinds of fun things with grapes. They, they are the perfect snack for impressing your friends with your ability to toss food up in the air and catch it in your mouth, right? You can cut grapes in half, leave a little bit of the skin attached, put it on a plate, put it in the microwave, set the timer, and watch the thing ignite. Grapes will catch on fire in their microwave. Uh, I did not approve your doing that science experiment at home when you go home today. Grapes. Gra people like to freeze them. You put them in the freezer, and then you pop them in your mouth, eat them like little popsicles. Grapes are great. So you, you squeeze the grapes, and you can gr drink Grape juice. I like grape juice. Grapes are wonderful. God made grapes. Grapes are good. But some people squeeze the grapes, take the juice, let it ferment. Let it give its color in the cup, as Proverbs says. And then it turns into something that the Bible says is a mocker and is raging. And it, if you drink it, you're not wise. The problem's not grapes. Grapes are good. What people do with them, it becomes a problem, okay? What about tobacco? Tobacco. You ever actually seen a tobacco plant? It, it, it doesn't grow like in a little white stick. <laughs> it's a green leafy thing that God made. And there are all kinds of good uses for it. But he didn't make it so you could roll it up and smoke it and get addicted to nicotine. That's not why God made it. He didn't make it so you could turn your lungs black and your teeth yellow and make your breath stink. Some of us don't need any help with that. Tobacco's good... It doesn't mean cigarettes are good, right? Hemp, all kinds of names for this plant from which uh, they get 
marijuana, okay? Remember back when they were petitioning to, to, to make medicinal marijuana legal? Uh, we'd go out witnessing, and wherever we went out witnessing, there'd always be people with a clipboard and the petitions to try to get it on the ballot. We're going to legalize medical marijuana. I always asked them, do you smoke marijuana? They always said yes. I always asked them, do you take it medicinally? They always said, well, no. Anyway, beside the point, you know, God made the herbs. They, they would often quote this passage to me from Genesis. This happened a number of times. Well, God made the herbs and he said that they're good. He did make the herbs. He did say that the herbs are good. But he didn't say it was good for you to, 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 to give control of your body, to, to be placed under the power of any kind of substance. 1 Corinthians 6.12, I will not be brought under the power of any. The, the good uses for the good things that God made do not include anything that robs you of any level of your sobriety. Marriage. God made marriage. We talk about that. He, he created it. He designed it. He instituted it. God established a relationship to be enjoyed within the context of marriage by a husband and wife so they could do what he told them to do and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. There's nothing dirty about that. Nothing sinful about that. Nothing wrong about that. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but but sinful man has taken that relationship that's good that God created and taken it outside the boundaries that God established. And now it's something that's sinful and it's something that's hurtful. And it's, some, it, it's a sin that the New Testament addresses more than any other sin, the sin of fornication. So, so God made marriage and marriage is good because everything God made was good. But you can't use the fact that God made something good as an excuse to pervert it and twist it and use it in a way that he did not intend. Let's get some cross-references on this concept, this principle. Romans 14 from the New Testament, Romans 14 and verse 14. The goodness of God's creation. Romans 14 and verse 14. The Bible says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. There, there's nothing unclean of itself. For instance, a television. We don't have one in our house. That makes us way more spiritual than anybody who does have one in there. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm joking. It's not true. Okay, we, we don't have a TV. If we had a TV, that wouldn't make us sinners. All the other things we do, that's what makes us sinners. But I, I'm, I'm just saying, there's nothing inherently wrong with a television set. You can watch church on it. That's the excuse that everybody had, right? Okay, nothing wrong with a television set. It, it's glass and plastic, and wires, and I don't know what's inside of it. I've never broken one and, and looked inside. But it, it's, it's not unclean in and of itself. But unclean people take and 
sit in front of it and pump their minds full of all kinds of stuff that makes them unclean, right? Nothing unclean in and of itself. The internet. Al Gore's a lot smarter than you give him credit for. He created that thing. It's pretty impressive, right? Look, you can resolve all of your arguments 30 seconds. We used to say with a click of a button, you don't even have to click a button anymore. Hey, Siri. <laughs> hey, Google. You, seriously, if, if, if one day you and your spouse disagree, there, there, is, there, is, a, there is a supreme court of authority to, to, to determine who's right and who's wrong and who has to apologize and who gets to gloat. And that is the Internet. The Internet. I mean, the Internet. It's great. Nothing wrong with the internet in and of itself. You can watch sermons on the internet. You can get the gospel out on the internet. You can try to encourage people or or you get on the internet, do all kinds of things a Christian has absolutely no business doing. You, you can get on the internet and absolutely waste your life on pointless drivel and vanity. You can, you can spend your existence on social media and never do anything for God. Nothing wrong with the internet in and of itself, but you can use it in a way that is absolutely unclean. Look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. Here the Bible says similarly, under the pure, all things are pure. But under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and their conscience is defiled. Again, Genesis 1, everything God made, very good. If you've got a pure mind, you can see everything God made as a good thing. You got a dirty mind? You can take and twist any good thing and make it perverted. You're going you're, you're gonna to go to school or you're going to get a job. At some way, at some point, you're going to get out there in that world and you are going to come in contact with people who take absolutely everything and turn it into some kind of a sick joke. There, there are people out there that just can't let anything go can't let anything be pure or clean or wholesome. You just got to make up your mind right now. You are going to avoid those people like the plague. I don't know if I can say that right now. Do it anyway. Avoid those people like, you know what? Their mind and their heart is defiled. Everything God made is pure. Everything God made is good. But sin entered the world. And messed it all up. So Romans 16 verse number 19 says we should be simple concerning evil and wise concerning that which is good. Look, the, the, the less you know about all the sick and twisted and perverted ways that, God, that people use the good things God made, the better. Just be simple concerning evil. Okay, number two from Genesis chapter 1. So many things in day 6 that we just don't have time to cover or we've already covered it on other days. Point number two, not only the goodness of God's creation, but man's dominion over creation. Let's talk about man's dominion over creation. Given him by God. 
God put the man in charge. Okay? The crowning point, the climax, the pinnacle of the created week when God makes the man and woman. He gives them dominion. Dominion is sovereign or supreme authority. Dominion is the power of governing and controlling. Dominion is the power to direct, control, to use, dispose of. Right of possession and use, predominance, ascendance. Okay? Man has dominion. Man is, we'll we'll balance this, don't get... Don't get egotistical about it. Man is the most important part of the creation. That's what the Bible says. Now, Isaiah 45, 18, we won't turn to it this morning. We've turned to it many, many times. God created it not in vain. He formed it, speaking of the earth, he formed it to be inhabited. So everything God did up to this point in the creation week was about making the earth a habitable place for man, he is getting everything ready for this grand finale on day six, the crowning point of creation when he forms man of the dust of the ground and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul, and he brings him the woman, and he performs the wedding, and he blesses the happy couple, and he orders them to populate the earth, and he gives them dominion over everything he made. God did not make man for the earth. God made the earth for man. That's an important biblical perspective. Let's get some references. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. We read this passage in discussing day number 4, but we'll continue in the passage this morning. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. Psalm 8, 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Verse 3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, 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 Now look. When we, when we see God's power and might on display, when we see God's wisdom in the intricacy of his creation, it ought to be a humbling thing. We ought to look at the grandeur of God's creation and think, what am I but a little speck of dust? But then the focus in the passage, it shifts. Because the, 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 what seems like a rhetorical question in verse number 4 is answered in the verses that follow. Look at this. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. What is man? You, not only is God mindful of us, God has crowned us with glory and honor. Verse number 6. Thou madest him to have dominion. Over the works of thy hands, thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He hung the moon, he hung the sun, he hung the stars. God created all these things, but then he put us in charge of everything that he made upon the earth. 
So in the first four verses, we're supposed to be humbled by this, but then in the last four verses or last five verses, we're given to understand that God is so good to us and so interested in us, he, he, he placed us in charge, he gave us dominion. Now look at Romans chapter 1. Just like every other good thing that God made and established, sinful men have taken this and flipped it on its head. Either they're proud and egotistical, or it shows up in another way. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Romans 1. Twenty-one through twenty-five. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and a birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so, so the biblical perspective is God is over all. And then he created the heaven and the earth, but he gave man dominion over everything on the earth. Now, here's what, here's what men who reject the knowledge of God do in Romans chapter 1. They take God's position and creation's position, and they flip it. Instead of God being over man and man being over creation, now, now God is, is not even thought of. They don't like to retain God in their knowledge and instead of worshiping and serving God, we're going to take the creation over which we're supposed to have dominion and we're going to worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Let me give you three instances, three examples, A, B, and C. A would be the sun, moon, and stars. God made them on day four. Why? To give light upon the earth so you could go out in the daytime and get some work done so you could walk the outhouse at night and not be completely creeped out. I don't know. So 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 there's there's light upon the earth. The the moon it teaches us about being Christians reflecting the light of the sun. The the moon it's it's in just the right uh place so that it can regulate the ocean tides and and we can take our clocks and calendars and measure time by the the movings of the sun, the moon. And the stars. So, so God made those things, right? Specific purposes. But what did the heathen in the Old Testament do? What, what did the Israelites eventually in the Old Testament do? The Bible says they worshipped the host of heaven. They made gods out of the sun and the moon and the stars. Instead of worshipping the God who made them, they began to worship the things that God made. It's backwards. The sun, moon, and stars, we're not here for them. They're here for us. They're here so we can tell what time it is. They're here so we can go out during the day and get some work done. 
They're here so the tides can come in and out. You can know the best time to go fishing and the best time to go snorkeling. It's here for us. We're here for the Lord. But those heavenly bodies, they're, they're here for us. What about the land and the seas? God separated those on day number three. It's important that, 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 that we, we understand dominion does imply a certain measure of stewardship and responsibility. So I'm against environmentalism on the basis of Romans 125. That doesn't mean I think that we should just go litter and pollute and use and abuse uh, the creation over which we have dominion. If, if, if we're in control, we're supposed to take care of it to a certain extent. I understand that. I concede that. Man was given the task in Genesis 1 of keeping and tending the garden. He was supposed to make it nice, take care of it, and use it properly, okay? But if you've ever read the Bible, then you're aware the earth is going to be destroyed. And it's not going to be carbon emissions, it's not going to be climate change. It is going to be what they call an act of God. 2 Peter 3, the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise. The Big Bang did not start the universe. The Big Bang is going to be the end of the world. The elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. The earth and all the works therein shall be burned up. We're not going to destroy it. Oliver B. Green said, God has reserved that pleasure unto himself. All right? Now, but there are people who worship Mother Nature. When we worship Mother Nature, we worship Father God. Those resources, they're here for us to use. They're not here for us to hug. They're not here for us to leave alone and make sure nobody ever bothers or disturbs them. Okay, that's worshiping, serving the creature more than the creator. God gave man dominion. Over the sun, moon, and the stars, over the land and the sea. What about over animal life? Point C. The animals. Nothing wrong with liking animals. I like chicken. I like steak. I like pork. I like shrimp. I like sh I like shark. You ever eaten shark? Shark is good. I like I like deer. I like venison. I like animals. First Timothy four four. Every creature of God is good. Seriously, God put the animals here on the earth. For us, they exist for man to enjoy. That includes eating them. I suppose it also includes like companionship and whatever. But the point that the Bible makes abundantly clear is that humans are more important. There is nothing more sickening about this society in which we live than calling the murder of innocent babies a woman's right to choose and putting people in prison for harming a manatee or a sea turtle. That, that is just so backwards, so wrong, so messed up. I have, I, I've read news articles about people that harmed an endangered species or killed an endangered species. And I'm not saying I want to go, you know, uh, get rid of all of the, I don't know what's endangered, uh, Thank you. I'm not trying to rid the earth of red pandas, but if I shoot one, I think the penalties for murdering a human being should be worse than the penalties for ridding the earth of some kind of 
beast. And seriously, you will you, you read a news article, this guy, he you know, he painted Jesus saves or he painted Trump on a turtle or a manatee, and man, you, you, you go to prison longer for that than you'll go for getting drunk, smashing your car, and taking somebody's life. It just just messed up society. I don't I don't necessarily want to be a part of that. Okay? This is for Gage. You take your dog to the grocery store in the stroller. That is called inordinate affection. You have to take your emotional support cat on the airplane. The only thing that's right about that is that individual needs emotional support. Right? Lauren and I, we were quarantined this week. We went out to a park outside and we walked. And there was other people there. And have you have you seen the backpacks? The backpacks with the plastic cover. This guy and this girl, I don't know if they were married or what, they were both carrying their cat to the park. And they got them out and played with it. It was sick. Well, and they were posed with them. Yeah, they were in the, the cat was in the selfie. It was it was bad, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 10. Let's, let's finish up. Matthew chapter 10. Man is more important than animals. I can prove it to you from the Bible. It's what Jesus said. Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Look, God cares about the birds. Not very expensive, not endangered, lots to go around. But every time one of them dies, God knows about it and he cares. Okay? But, contrast, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. No comment. Verse 31. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value... Than many sparrows. All right, so so God does care about the birds, but He cares a lot more about you than He cares about the birds. First Corinthians chapter nine. How much or how little hair you might have. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses nine and ten. First Corinthians nine. 9 and 10, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. Why did God put that in the law? It wasn't necessarily because He cares so much about the cows. It was because He wanted to make a point regarding the preachers in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. So, man is more important. than and you're, you're of more value than many sparrows man's dominion over creation here's what we're saying environmentalism is incompatible with biblical christianity environmentalism is incompatible with biblical christianity if you think about it we can take that statement farther environmentalism is incompatible with evolution evolution is based on what the survival of the fittest. If it's not surviving, all that means is evolution is just doing its job and getting it out of the way. Why would you step in and, and, and get in the way of that? 
if you're an environmentalist. It's, it's pretty ironic. The two are very incompatible, but, but not many people see the irony. So, not a ton of application from the Bible lesson this morning, but let's say this. It is good to have the truth. It is good to know the truth. Let's make sure that we walk in the truth. Take all the good things God made, enjoy them. Take the dominion God gave us and enjoy it. And let's, uh, let's do what he put us here to do, and that's please him. Father, thank you for your word this morning and the opportunity we have to read it, study it with one another. Help us, Lord, to implant these things in our minds and our hearts. Help us to love, please, serve, and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.